able to come to a knowledge of the truth. How can that be? How, how can you be ever learning and you just can't come to a knowledge of the truth? And I think as we go through this passage, it becomes clear that the truth is transformational. The truth changes us. It changes our character. It changes our behavior. And if we can't cross that line where we are transformed, then it's just an academic exercise. And so we have to hear the words of God and do them in order to build our house upon the solid rock. Here in Matthew 18 and beginning in verse 1, at the same time the, came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're trying, they're, they're getting this vision now of the kingdom and they want to know, well, well, who's the greatest there? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, truly I say unto you, except you be converted, unless you are converted, and become as little children, he's speaking to his disciples, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is frightening, that unless we are transformed by God's words, we just won't be there. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the highest offices in the kingdom of heaven will be given to the most humble. So who can humble themselves the most? That's who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso, and whoever, so there's the, there's the one that humbles himself like a child, and then there's the one that shall receive one such little child in my name, that one receives me. So when somebody humbles themselves before you, if you reject them, you're rejecting Jesus Christ. If you accept them, you're accepting Jesus Christ because that one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso, so we, so we, have, we have three people here. We have the one that humbles himself. We have the one that receives the one that humbles himself. And now in verse 6, we have the one that rejects the one that humbles himself. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. You know, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Please, brethren, this has nothing to do with the world. This is a very tight passage about us and what's happening here in the church of God. That God is saying, that if we were to, if someone were to humble themselves and come to us and we reject them, you know, it would be better for us if we took a millstone and hung it about our neck and threw us into the depth of the sea than have to face Jesus Christ after this. Serious words. Then he says in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. This has nothing to do with the world. So it would be like bizarre when Christ is talking about the church to suddenly curse the world. The Greek is ueto cosmo apoton scandalon. And that word cosmo, which is translated the world, which has a Christian connotation, the world, it's the cosmos. The cosmos is any arranged order of particular things. So this congregation is a cosmos. There's an arranged order. You think of cosmetics. 
When a woman puts on cosmetics, there's an arranged order. She doesn't put lipstick on her eyebrows. Well, I guess the transgender, well, let me not go there. <laughs> but there's an arranged order. And so he's cursing the church. Woe unto the church because of scandalone, because of offenses that will take place in the church, that these little ones are going to be harmed, and woe unto anybody that would harm one of his little ones. So woe unto the church, woe unto the cosmos, because of scandalone. For it must needs be that offenses come. We can't help it. It's going to happen. But cursed is that Christian by whom they come. Cursed is that Christian that shall harm one of these little ones. Therefore, now we can make sense of this, verse 8. Therefore, if your hand or your foot, English is offend, Greek is scandalo. So if your hand or your foot scandalos you, that is, causes you to harm one of these little ones in the cosmos, in the arranged order of things, if your hand or your foot should cause you to do that, cut them off. Because it would be better for you to have a millstone hanged around your neck and thrown into the depth of the sea than that your hand or your foot causes harm to a member of the body of Christ. Cut them off and cast them from you. It's better for you to enter into life halt, injured, or maimed, rather than having two hands and two feet and using them to harm the children of God and be cast into everlasting fire. And that word scandalo means to, to cause to be brought to a downfall. So if your hands or your feet are going to cause you to be brought to a downfall, cut them off rather than harm a fellow member of the body of Christ. And if your eye offend you, cut it out and cast it from you. This is urgent. Please understand what you're dealing with. You're dealing with my body, my little ones. So if your eye scandalize you, causes you to sin against one of my little ones, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. These are Christians being cast into hellfire. So much for once saved, always saved. That goes against the very teachings of God. You harm one of his little ones, do yourself a favor and get a millstone and hang it about your neck and commit suicide rather than face Jesus Christ having done that. So your eyes is, is to look at a brother despising the brother. That is causing you to be scandalized. That is bringing you into sin. To disesteem a fellow member of the body of Christ. Take heed. Be careful that you despise. That is to disesteem. To think against. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones in the cosmos. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. They have direct access to the Father and can report back to him the pain that we have inflicted on a member of Christ's body. Now he says, for the Son of Man, and 
Pastor Murray talked about these conjunctions that explain, that link the, the, the logic. This is why. Because the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. This is the true narrative. You know, we see, we don't see with our eyes, we see with our stories. We have to interpret what we see. And we tell ourselves stories. And so we tell ourselves stories about each other. And the stories that we tell about, tell ourselves about each other are not always good. But the real story is, whoever is in the cosmos, Christ has come to save that which was lost. He's come to save Israel and all those graft into Israel. So that's the narrative. So whenever we look at each other, we should see people that Christ is on a mission to save. He goes on. Think about it. How think you? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doesn't he leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which has gone astray? This is a key verse. Hundred sheep, one goes astray. The shepherd leaves the ninety and nine to search out that one. And if so be that he finds it, truly I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, in the same way, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So it's not God's will, and that word perish means to be utterly destroyed. So again, if we harm one another, it's better for us to destroy ourselves than what Christ is going to do. Christians will be utterly destroyed if they harm one another. This, I, I don't know if there's any more serious message than this. So what he's saying is now, if I am harming my brother Harry, I'm lost. I'm on the path to utter destruction. But this is not the Father's will. His will is that I be sought out and brought back and that I do not end my life in utter destruction. No Christian should be utterly destroyed. But many will. Many will. He says in verse, so it's not his will that any of these little ones should perish. And then he says in verse 15, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, a, a very good translation of the Greek, which is iende harpatese ho adelphos su. Very good translation. That your brother has trespassed. He's crossed over the line. He has sinned against you. He has broken God's commandments, and that has violated you in some way. When that happens... Go and tell, this is not, you know, uh, he looked at you the wrong way. This is not, there was some miscommunication. This is, he stole from you. This is, someone committed adultery with your partner. This is the violation of the law. When that happens, the burden now is upon the Christian to restore the Christian that's going to be destroyed for this work of evil, the burden is now on us to restore this one to the body. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, 
you're like doing the Father's will. You have found that sheep of the hundred that has gone astray, and you've restored him, and there is joy in heaven. More joy over that one than over the 99 that didn't go astray. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more, and then we have some very, how shall I say this? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking the word. But it's like uh, if you're watching a movie, foreboding. We have some very foreboding words. If he will not hear you, then do this. Take with you one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This is getting frightening. Two or three witnesses. Hold your place here. Let's go to Deuteronomy 19. There has been a violation of the law. You have suffered because of this violation of the law. You have been violated. You realize this is coming from a member of the body of Christ. Rather than strike back and harm one of these little ones, you're following the words of the Lord, and you're going in a spirit of meekness, knowing that they are on the way to lake of fire, and you're doing your best to restore them. They're not listening. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, any violation of the law, or for any sin in any sin that he sins. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Somebody is about to be put to death. Your word alone isn't enough. You went privately. Now bring one or two more that we can establish that this person, this Christian, needs to be sentenced to death. This is serious. This is not Mickey Mouse. We're not playing games here. We're on the path to eternal life. And God is saying, this is what's required of you. If you, if you, if you want to be the greatest, be the most humble. Back to Matthew 24. So now the matter has been established that this person violated you by violating the law. You've gone to restore them. They didn't listen, so you brought two or three witnesses. And those witnesses are not just there passively listening. They're actually participating in the Father's will to restore this violator to the body. Verse 17, And if he, if he shall neglect to hear them, that is the two or three witnesses you brought with you, or the, sorry, the one or two witnesses you brought with you, so that two or three established the matter. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Obviously, you would do this under the guidance of the elders, but now you've done your best to keep the matter private. Now this person, what's happened, needs to be public. The church needs to understand why. Tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, now the whole church, the 99 sheep, are trying to persuade the one sheep, please come back. But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. That's it. This person is now on their way to the lake of fire, unfortunately. Now, verse 21. So Peter hears all of this, and it's hard to digest. You could imagine. So someone has violated you, and then 
Christ is telling you to go through all of this. And so Peter's saying, okay, maybe I could do this once. Maybe twice. Okay, I'm really going to stretch my imagination. I could do this maybe seven times. If I stretch my imagination any further, it snaps. I just can't go any further than that. So he says, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother violate me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, a very strange statement, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. What does that mean? Hold your place here and turn with me to Daniel 9. So Peter's kind of getting it because seven symbolically is the picture of completion. So hey, if I do this seven times, have I shown that I'm humble? And Christ says, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. Daniel 9, and the, the prophet, or sorry, the uh, angel Gabriel is giving Daniel understanding of what's going to be in the latter days. And he says this, latter days really beginning with the first coming of Christ and ending with his second. He says this, verse 24, Seventy sevens are determined upon your people and upon your holy city. Why why these seventy sevens? What's the purpose of this period of anguish upon Jerusalem and upon the people of God? To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So the 77s is this period of cleansing of sin. And it's a in Matthew 24 he says you need to understand the abomination that makes desolate and the purpose of it is to cleanse the church. And so until the 77s are complete there's going to be iniquity. And offenses must come. But woe unto that man by whom they come. So until the 77s are complete and Christ returns, we have to pursue each other and bring each other back from offenses. Back to Daniel, back to Matthew 18. Verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servant. So because of this 70 times 7 period where there will be iniquity and offenses, he likens the kingdom to this king that forgives the debt of one of his servants, and the servant is so thrilled and so happy, and then that servant has a a debt owed to him, which is nothing. And he is so exacting and unforgiving that this passage then ends in verse 32. Then his Lord, after he had spoken, called him and said unto him, O you wicked Christian, You wicked Christian, you thought once saved, always saved, and so you abused your brother. You wicked Christian, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow Christian, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry and delivered the Christian to the tormentors till he should pay that which was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father 
do also unto you, Christian. You, Christian, with the Holy Spirit. My Heavenly Father will do this unto you. If from your hearts, and he's going to examine the heart, he knows what's there. If from your hearts you forgive not everyone, his brother, for their violations of the law. So brethren, let's think about this, because there are those that are ever learning, and yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Peter said, like, how many times would I have to... It was, it's difficult. But this is the truth. This is the truth that transforms us, and this is what we must do. If we're unwilling to do this, then we're playing a game, and we're going to be found out. So we're not here just for our own salvation. We're here so that our brothers may live.